Hey y'all, welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about everything cannabis, cannabis law reform, and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA, working through advocacy to end the prohibition of plants. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Michelle Ross. Dr. Ross is a neuroscientist who got her PhD from UT Southwestern. She is the Deputy Director for Decriminalized Nature, Nevada, and founder at Aura Therapeutics. She has authored as many as five books on plant medicines, like CBD Oil for Health and Vitamin Weed. This episode is more like a basic conversation than an interview, as we just dove right into the subject of plant medicine. Let's meet Michelle and see for yourself. Hello, Michelle, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So I'm a neuroscientist. I actually studied drug addiction and was one of those evil scientists trying to help the government prove that uh, drugs like cannabis or magic mushrooms are bad for your brain. But I actually found the opposite. And so that sort of started my whole career in a drug reform policy, helping legalize uh, both cannabis and psilocybin and kratom um, across the country, as well as other countries. Um, I've written five books, uh, including vitamin weed, CBD oil for health, and kratom as medicine. And I've educated thousands of doctors uh, across the country as one of sort of the OG cannabis uh, experts and uh, worked with a lot, a lot of patients, uh, primarily on uh, on chronic pain. That's my specialty in women's health. So uh, I just love, again, the plan. It's helped me so much and I love helping other people with it. I don't know if you know how I got started in all this and why. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it has to do with your son with epilepsy. So that's what I've read so far. And of course, you have his picture behind it, you and everything. So that drives a lot of your motivation. But I would love to hear it straight from you. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Well, he he, uh, he developed seizures at about the age of nine and a half. And uh, in an attempt to not sound like a broken record to my audience and make this as short as possible, we went through all the, the medical checks and everything. They found nothing. So we chose not to medicate at that time until later when he started driving and he was worried about, you know, having a seizure behind the wheel. Mm -hmm. So we had him checked out all again and still found nothing, but they started him on some meds and meds only made his situation worse uh, and worse. Every time they changed his meds or increased the dose, his seizures got more frequent, more severe, until they they eventually took his life. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, that's when I started doing my research and found out the reality behind uh, medical cannabis and uh, what we know and what we still need to learn, and also uh, the lies that were used to make it illegal in the first place. And so I I, I was head down in into the research, you know. Mm-hmm. And this went on for about two weeks, and then I made the page on Facebook, and I started making videos and telling my story mm-hmm. and and putting the research out there, uh, the the realities behind Harry Anslinger and uh, the whole you know movement in the '30s, um, the whole ball of lies is what I like to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, 
it is so it, important that we we share those stories, right? Because each of us has like a compelling reason why we're in this field or why we do the work we do. But I think like there somebody has to hear it from like a different voice or a different face. It's like that one-on-one -on -one connection that they have. So maybe they, you know, they watch your video and it really speaks to that, you know? So I think that's why it's so important. We're all out there like doing our thing in different ways, but it's really, it's again, it's cannabis has saved my life. It saved so many of my patients' lives. And it's just literally like, please, everyone, just listen. You know, you don't have to use it yourself. Just listen and learn. <laughs> you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of the stories through my research, but of course I've, I've come in contact with a lot of people like yourself and, and others. And, and I've even connected a few people with some people at, at bad times in their lives. One was a very near and dear friend of mine. Um, God rest his soul. He didn't make it. It was too late by the time, you know, he found out where he was at, but mm -hmm. the effects of cannabis on his body and the tumors and the cancer were positive in all but one most important area, which is, was his bile duct oh. from the, the pancreas, mm -hmm. pancreatic bile duct. And the doctor told him, I'm amazed. I cannot believe. Because they gave him, uh, they gave him three to five months with doing standard chemo. Mm -hmm. They said, well, we, best we can give you is three to five months. And that's, that's not quite a life anyways. You're just in no. treatment the whole time. That's all. And you're miserably sick yeah. the whole bit. Yeah. So he he called me and he said, what do you think? And I put him in contact with a few people and he made a few phone calls and he called me back. You know, he said, well, they told me to call this person. What do you think? I said, call him, call him. Mm -hmm. And then he calls me back and he says, well, they told me to get a, a $500 prepaid gift card and mail it to him and they'll mail me a package. I said, <laughs> do you want to try? You live in an illegal state. This is the only way, you yeah. know. And so he did it, and and within I think it was like three days later he called me. He said, "Hey, I got a FedEx package today." He said, "So I'm going to start following their directions." I said, "Hallelujah! Let me know how it goes." You know, and the first time he went back to the doctor, they were like, "Well, we want to do a scan." So they did a scan, and the tumors in his lungs were gone. Tumors in his liver were gone, and this was in a matter of like six weeks. Yeah, and. and you know, he still had tumors in, in his pancreas and he still had, I uh, can't remember if it was his stomach or his bladder. He had, had he was pretty well eat up with it. But, uh, you know, at that point, the doctor was like, I can't believe you're not on your hands and knees begging me for pain meds at mm -hmm. this point. And, and he's like, Doc, I don't hurt. Yeah. So that's <laughs> when he told the doctor what he was doing. And the doctor said, well, I want to do a scan. And they did the scan and they got those results. And so he wanted to maintain watching. He mm -hmm. eventually, he had to, he had to succumb to, to pain meds at the very end. And, uh, you know, I actually saw him a week before he passed. And he was telling me all these big stories of how he was going to go to these, all these rallies with me and stuff after the first of the year. And, and the whole time I was thinking to myself, no, you're not. I kept a smile on my face said, you bet I'm ready anytime you are, you know, but the whole time deep down inside, I knew this was the last time I was going to see him, you know, yeah. but just the effect that he had and the point that I left out, the most important point 
He went from three to five months and miserable mm-hmm. to almost 11 months. Mm-hmm. And he was only miserable like the last week, week and a half. That's quality of life. That's not quantity of life. And I think that's something that we so focus on is like, oh, we need extra months. Well, extra months when you're tied up to an IV puking is an extra time, you know? And he he got both. Yeah. Yeah, And he got both. He got Mm -hmm. quality and quantity. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, has always pained me in in my life is now that I know so much about cannabis, you know, before I was really working on the good side of, of cannabis science, helping uh, to make it legal, of course, I was being paid uh, by the government to try to make it, keep it illegal. I, I worked in Texas doing my PhD and everything. And so it's sort of um, a really awful experience I went through where um, I was married uh, previously. So I'm on my second marriage, but my first marriage, um, my mother-in-law, who was actually really, really close to, even closer than my own mother, um, she ended up uh, being diagnosed with lung cancer and she had they gave her like two months to live and we decided to get married like literally we found out of our uh, her diagnosis and he proposed to me like on the phone it was like the weirdest like thing like it was like I did it for the family but like it was it was a weird mm-hmm. situation but she like had that hope of seeing her has her son married and so she like made it through but she was very skinny very not doing well she uh, wasn't using cannabis or anything because this was based in Boston. So back in the day, they didn't have medicinal or recreational cannabis or anything like that. Um, so basically, she didn't have any treatment like that. She had lung cancer, and then it progressed to her brain. And she actually died from hunger, like malnourishment. She could not eat whatsoever. Mm. And just think about cannabis, right? Even if it's not treating your tumor, at least to give you the will to eat. Um, she basically wasted it away. Um, she also couldn't afford a lot of the cancer treatments that might've extended her life maybe a little bit. So she chose to, you know, basically die at home um, hungry. And that was one of the most painful things I'd ever seen. I knew when we were going on our honeymoon that we would never see her again. And yeah. that's exactly what happened. Like she died while we were on out. Like no one told us cause they were like, they didn't want to break our hearts. But to think that you could have something that would have been so simple here, have a, have a gummy you can eat now. Right. Like just Mm -hmm. that, stop that nausea from going through treatments or something like just dying with dignity is like the most basic thing. And we're still keeping that from so many people. And I think too, I mean, yes, cannabis isn't just for dying people. It's not just for people with epilepsy and things like that, but it's insane to think that we still have States that don't allow it for any reason whatsoever. And if you're in the hospital, I've, I've experienced this myself, hospitals do not want you to use edibles or any type of pain management in there. They're much more happier to put you on a fentanyl drip than let you eat a, a, a two milligram THC candy and be psychotic or something like that. And the worst story I've ever had is, is going to a hospital in Los Angeles um, with really, really severe pelvic pain. Like I thought like, my my oh, like my uterus was exploding or something like <laughs> there's something really wrong and actually what happened was I had three liters or something of blood in my abdomen like there was a real problem mm. I had ovarian cyst so something did explode I was right it wasn't my uterus it wasn't my womb it was my ovary but I had all this blood in my abdomen I wasn't doing good I was like feverish and everything but I had a pot brownie in my bag and of course when they're asking me like hey what are you taking and I'm like I'm not taking anything like they're like pressing me I was like I was gonna take this THC edible and I'm in California and it's legal and then they put me in a psychiatric hold because they assumed I was already high and I'm like yelling and saying like I'm really in pain like help me help me and 
it wasn't until 15 hours later that they actually diagnosed me with something they go oh yeah she's not crazy and making this up like she actually has something physically wrong with her after a psychiatrist evaluated me and then learned what THC is because yeah. he didn't really know anything and it's like that was a legal state we have doctors and hospitals that don't even know what the difference between THC and CBD is or it, what it is like like I actually have to eat the edible for me to be high. If I'm just holding it, I'm not going to be high. <laughs> like yeah. it's in my purse and it's all wrapped up and hasn't been opened. I'm not high yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, so it's, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. That, you know, they don't teach it in medical school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's problem number one, as far as the medical side is mm-hmm. they don't teach it in medical school. Even you though know. they don't teach it, you know, it, it's just interesting that they don't teach nutrition, they don't teach supplements, they don't teach so many things in, yeah. in medical school. But it's the, I think sometimes either you have arrogance on one side where I know everything, and even if I don't know, I'm going to pretend that I know, and it's everything is bad, <laughs> that that isn't my area of expertise, or you have doctors that are legitimately scared in the system about malpractice, losing their insurance, because it's like, you're not supposed to be going out recommending heroin, and unfortunately, <laughs> cannabis is in the same class as heroin. So, you know, to a doctor, that doesn't make sense to them. They would never recommend a uh, Schedule One drug of abuse. And yeah. so, it's, it's sort yeah. of crazy that we're in this now. I think psychedelic renaissance too, where now every every doctor and therapist is jumping on board with like, hey, psychedelics might be great, but cannabis still bad. Cannabis is the bad one that'll make you crazy. It's not going to help you. And you're like. Yeah. How did this happen? How do we like we're still today fighting for cannabis to be a legitimate medicine? And then somehow we just skipped ahead and said, oh, mushrooms and said, OK. And it's I yeah. feel like we're more likely to have mushrooms prescribed in our doctor's office than cannabis right now. And I have nothing. Trust me, I have no qualms about about um uh, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, no. because I'm also a fan. I also use them both for myself and with patients. But it's just still crazy to see how much stigma there is around cannabis and it's like we just need to get over all this and just again go back to plant medicine because that's where this all started you know medicine was practiced in families and you know with herbs and things like that we were like witches back in the day women with their herbs are basically (laughs) witches Mm -hmm. right got our cannabis plant we got all all our different little flowers and things like that and now it's just sorry it's all pharmaceuticals it's all factories and like you said you know what? Some people get better. I don't think pharmaceuticals are all bad. There are some pharmaceuticals that save lives, yeah. but there are a lot of people say that are sensitive to pharmaceuticals and there's nothing in there that, that works for them. And a personal story I have is I'm, I'm actually dealing with some very, very severe pain right now. I'm actually a little bit worried about like pancreatic cancer or something like that. So I'm going through all the tests right now. And mm-hmm. I hate it because I try to avoid the medical system as much as I can, even though I'm on PhD, I still get treated like, you know, not very nicely sometimes in the medical system. And I have to really be an advocate for myself, um, you know, first and, and be, you know, be very firm about what, what is, is right or not. But um, I'm allergic to most medications. So red food coloring will kill me. So red food coloring isn't about 90% of medications, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's a blue pill, it's got red in it. So so, um, my, my throat will close, I will die. And fighting with doctors about that, like, no, it's not in this pill, it's blue. I'm like, it's an ingredient list. Oh, just a little won't hurt you. I was like, if I had a peanut allergy, would you tell me a little won't hurt me? Like, what are you doing? You're a doctor. Like, you should know better. And then they're like, 
you're too difficult to prescribe for. I'm sending you to another doctor. And you're like, that's oh, not care. So like literally what I'm going through right now is going bouncing from doctor to doctor that I was just like, well, why don't you just prescribe me what you think I should, you should be taking? And I'm like, well, I'm not the doctor first off. Like, it's so crazy. And so I spend most of my time at the pharmacy just trying to like exchange tablets for white tablets. I'm like, I just need a white tablet. If it's not white, don't give it to me or give it to me IV because there's no coloring in it, but it shouldn't be that hard to get care. And what I love about cannabis, it's a natural plant. There's no food coloring in there, you know, but however, if they pharmaceuticalize it, right? Um, if they make it a prescription that you have to get at the doctor's office, who knows? Also, when you have these red 40, you know, pills with a little bit of CBD and a little bit of THC, and here I go back again where, hey, the only federally illegal cannabis will kill you. Like, that's yeah. that's what I'm worried about. And that's what I'm, I'm worried about my patients, too, because a lot of them are allergic to things like gluten. Gluten, um, is, for people that might be listening and a um, you know, is, is a wheat product. Um, but it's also a filler in a lot of pills. And so if you have celiac disease, or if you have some kind of special diet, which a lot of people are on a gluten-free diet now, you take your, your, your tablets and your medicine, you're actually ingesting the thing that you're on the special diet for trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. So that's what I love about plant medicine is that you're bypassing all the fillers, all the colors, all the things that are actually slowly poisoning you over the, over time. And I know especially older people are on like 10 different medications. It all adds up. Like you shouldn't be consuming any of this garbage. And with the cannabis plant, really all you have to worry about is, hey, how was it grown? Was there any, you know, improper pesticides, you know, put on it? If you're thinking about hemp plants, like CBD oils and things like that, you just need to make sure it's like, you know, doesn't have heavy metals or something like that. But right now, I would say most of the companies out there are really being safe about third-party testing and you're getting good products. I would say maybe like five, six years ago, you were getting a lot more sketchy stuff out there. Most yeah. of the things there are safe. Um, yeah. You know, there are some things to look for, but, you know, it's much safer um, than in any of the pharmaceuticals. You can't overdose, low addiction liability. And again, I... I always say that because yes, you can be addicted to cannabis, but you can be addicted to caffeine mm -hmm. and everything else. So, you know, it's, it's not no yeah. risk, but it's very low risk. So I prefer to take it, but it's still such a weird conversation here. Um, I live in Nevada now. I live in Las Vegas and the conversations I've had with doctors, I notice um, doctors tend to be a little bit more, you know, on the conservative side anyways, no matter what state you're in. But a lot of them, I'm like, we live in a recreational adult use cannabis state. You know, there's casinos and gambling and like brothels here. Like, mm -hmm. why is me telling you I consume a THC gummy at night for my fibromyalgia, something that makes you highly uncomfortable and you wish I wouldn't do it? I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I, there she's like recreational drug user. I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's it's a really weird conversation to keep having. And it, I just wish, again, it's just like I tried to, to make these conversations, but even as a patient, I have to be very careful because I remember it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the science says. If you say something that your doctor doesn't agree with, they sort of either put you in a bucket and start treating you differently. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you don't need pain medication or Ooh, are you seeking anxiety meds? Like I, I'm not seeking anything. I literally just want cancer or an infection or something, whatever's going on with me treated. But it's like, every question is always framed with like, what are you here for more drugs? And I'm like, nope, I'm good. Thank you. I'm going to go use my cannabis when I get home. But, um, yeah. you know, cannabis, creative mushrooms are all considered vices. And one of the things I wanted to mention too, I know that you work so, so much in, in the cannabis space, but it's so funny because we're having this attack on plant meds in general. Again, yeah. except for the, the corporatization of, of that, but like Kratom, for example, is 
look is a relative of the coffee family. It's like mm -hmm. a green herb that looks very much like matcha powder. And a lot of people use it for uh, pain relief with like energy or pain relief. And there's like strains mm -hmm. that, are, that are helpful for sleep. And a lot of patients actually use both CBD and Kratom or cannabis and Kratom. They're not exclusive. Sometimes people use one on one day and one on the other, depending on what they need. But um, it works mainly on opioid system, but um, it doesn't cause overdose and it doesn't mm -hmm. cause respiratory depression. And it's a lower addiction liability. They've done studies now and they're like, okay, if you compare morphine, which they prescribe to Kratom, morphine is way addictive. Kratom is low addiction liability as long as you use it within the recommended ranges, just like, you know, you can abuse any pills. So that's one of the things that has been exciting for me is to, to use this and find it really complemented my pain relief, um, you know, regimen. But uh, in the United States, they actually are trying to bully other countries into banning it worldwide, which is the most insane thing. You're like, they tried to ban it here in 2016. Um, mm -hmm. I actually lived in Denver when they, they, I guess, made Denver the first city to to make it illegal. And I go, wait, we legalized cannabis. And, and right after that, they basically decriminalized all drugs. So you can get heroin, you can do heroin and you can do cocaine and everything else like that. But you can't use Kratom, which is for pain relief. It's so weird. So they'd rather use heroin than Kratom. And you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is up with these laws? And yeah. more recently, like, people um, in the U.S., they didn't actually ban Kratom outright because the patients were so angry. They went to the DEA offices and were protesting back in 2016. And I think that's hilarious because no cannabis station is going to show up at a, a DEA office. Like, that's not how we roll at all. We're like, no, that, that would be a trick or something. But, um, yeah. but the patients showed up and were protesting. And so they didn't end up banning it. But every year they keep trying and trying. And then they realized, hey, the research now shows that it's absolutely not addictive. It's not a schedule one drug. It's not heroin. Why would you ever put it there? And um, the, they're basically failed at making a ban here in the United States, but then they're trying to convince like basically all the world agencies to make it an illegal drug. So then it would be illegal here because we like follow drug treaties and things like that. But uh, that's yeah. happening right now. I live in a state in Nevada where they legalized the Kratom industry. So similar, very similar to how cannabis was legal. They literally made laws where they said, hey, this is, you know, has opioid like um you know chemicals in it so just do like a food supplement like a supplement label just showing hey what's in there you know what mm -hmm. is the, the active ingredient similar to cannabis like hey what's the thc in there and things like that make it safe do do lab testing and stuff and we have a great market here and then um the pharmacist board try is trying to make it a schedule one drug just in in Nevada and make it illegal again after we legalized it for like two or three years nothing's changed like no one's died from this like no big thing has happened you can go why? Why are you so afraid of this? Why? Yeah, yeah. Why? And especially because you're not even prescribing opioids. If you're a chronic pain patient, right? Like there are women that I've known that are not even pain patients. So they literally had a cesarean and they need opioids after their surgery, after they gave birth, and they're like, have a Tylenol. Like right now, people are being um, not getting the pain management or the care that they need because of the opioid epidemic. But it's not. These are not the people that are abusing pills. And it's. Mm -hmm. so weird like they're left with no options okay i can't have real pain management um cannabis might be illegal or might be looked down on by my provider like what are you going to do when you're in pain and you have no relief i mean these are people that are dropping out of the workforce or these are people that are going to start looking for illegal drugs like you said mm -hmm. you know when you you need help you know you you find a solution i mean otherwise you yeah. just sort of die because chronic pain is real like mm -hmm. I can, I can, I can, I can vouch for that myself. I have 
uh, multiple cervical spine issues. I've had okay. I've had a, a fusion done about 11 and a half years ago, and most recently had an artificial disc put in at the next level up above that, and I've got problems beyond that. But I know full well about chronic pain and how it can be absolutely debilitating. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's just, it's crazy to think how many doctors are just not having the conversation or, you know, shrug that off as you're not really managing your pain, but then they, they write you the script for Tylenol. <laughs> so it's, sure. well, it's you, hilarious. You know, you know I, I, I'm totally honest with my GP. She mm-hmm. knows full well what I do and supports it. 100% because I'm not going to her asking her for a prescription for mm-hmm. opiates. But, and, and she prompted me just, she said, you got to tell everybody if you're going to see a medical professional, you got to let them know what you're doing. You know, and I said, okay, fine. So pardon the short break for a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about cannabis and cannabis law reform. Uh, you know, a lot of people found out the hard way uh, with CBD oil, you know, yeah. that, that you can positive, test positive yeah. by just using CBD oil. Because most most employment tests, they, mm-hmm. they're just testing for cannabinoids. They're not testing for one specific or the other. Mm-hmm. And the average Joe don't know that, right? Well, I mean, think about it, right? You have uh, companies that sell CBD oil that have like, you know, the 0.3%, right? But if you take a large dose of CBD, you can, you know, again, pass for, you know, fail the test for having too much THC, you know, it's above the detection level. You can have companies that say they don't have any THC in it, but actually have the hot hemp, right? So it's like too much THC in there, but they mislabel it and they're still trying to sell it as, as CBD oil when it should be sold in a dispensary or something like that based on the law. There you go. So, you know, I try yeah. to counsel everyone, especially because a lot of the patients I talk to, you know, even if you're in a legal state, right, if you're a mother that might be being drug tested during a custody battle or you might be breastfeeding or pregnant or something like there's so many reasons why somehow the legal <laughs> element might enter in there. And, and so you can be somewhere where, hey, it's legal in my state, but, um, you know, I'm a construction worker. And if they find out I use THC, I'm fired. It doesn't matter when I use it, you know, so. A lot of people have to be really careful, but it's, you mm-hmm. know, there's this assumption that anything CBD is safe, anything THC is not safe. And it's like, it's such a nuance. Like you really just need to talk to somebody like you're mentioning some of the great clinicians out there, like Dr. Uma, myself, like we're out there, you know, working with patients, helping them get off of different prescription drugs, tapering mm-hmm. down onto cannabis, you know, really working with them to understand what is your life like, how Oh, you're like, what cannabis products, what cannabis dosing would best fit for you? Because there's so many ways to consume cannabis from like smoking it to using suppositories, to using lotions, to using just CBD oil drops. Like there's so many different ways to use it. And like, there's a, there is a cannabis product for you. Like Mm -hmm. I would say the majority of patients, I would say maybe there's like two or 3% out there that's like, nothing is right for you because you have some kind of heart issue or you have a psychosis issue or something where you're like, nope, it, it doesn't matter what it is. This is not a good fit. But most people can benefit from it. And, you know, mm. it's because we all have an endocannabinoid system. It's everywhere, you know, except for our brain stem. And I think, too, as we get older, um, one of the things that a lot of people don't know, I'm a neuroscientist, so this is like my jam. Uh, but we have cannabinoid receptors in our brain. We have these CB1, mm-hmm. CB2 receptors. As we get older, um, 
some of the receptor levels actually start to go down. So specifically CB2 receptors, which are more on our immune cells, but they're in our brain cells and systems. So basically, um, as we get older, right, we have more cognitive issues, forgetfulness, we have a little bit more inflammation, we start to get diseases of aging, even though they're like not actually normal, they're more like diseases of our horrible Western diet and, and, and stress and other things. But, you know, like things like Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease and things like that start happening. Mm -hmm. They don't need to happen. I think if you supplement yourself with cannabinoids, you know, whether you're using CBD oil or smoking cannabis, you're eating it, etc., you know, um, basically boosting your endocannabinoid system, we know that that reduces these signs and symptoms of some of these other, you know, really, really not great diseases. You know, nobody mm -hmm. wants Alzheimer's. <laughs> nobody wants to no. live with that. No one wants Parkinson's, right? And yet we see that these patients have great, you know, great success with it. But we also see that if you use these things, you tend not to develop these diseases at all. And like, that's what I want. Like, I try to tell everyone, I'm like, you know, even if you just started using cannabis at 40, like 40 is not too late. Like start no. consuming it, start feeding your body that vitamin weed. And you might end up, you know, again, with that quality of life. And it's like, that's what I want from people. I want, you know, oh, you live till 80 and you're, you're walking around, you're traveling, you're having a great life. You're not worrying like, oh, I got to be in like a nursing home or I'm sick or, you know, I can't take care of myself. Like to have the, the most best quality of life you know, where you're enjoying it and you're, you're mobile and you're thinking and creating, you know, creative and you're still yourself. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's what cannabis can help us with. But it's like changing the whole mindset around aging and things like that, you know, and it's funny, too, because we have these terms now for medical marijuana versus recreational marijuana. And it's like funny. It's like, oh, if you smoke a joint, you know, you're retired, but you don't have a, a chronic health il illness is, is that recreational or medical cannabis. <laughs> I still think it's medical cannabis because here you are, you're protecting yeah. your brain, you're reducing inflammation or anything, but we have this language around it that's so like stigmatizing, I think. And I just wish it was just all medical cannabis. It's just a plant. <laughs> plant is not deciding how it's acting in your body. <laughs> you know, more cannabis, higher doses doesn't necessarily mean more recreational because there are cancer patients taking very high doses that are not high or anything like that during the day. And they're there are people that are microdosing medically, right? Like they're using so much, so little THC. It's, it's hilarious, but it's still having a very positive effect on mm -hmm. their system from anxiety to inflammation, et cetera. So it's, you know, it's not the quantity. It's always, you know, the context of how you use things. Um, you know, obviously like say consuming cannabis and like a bottle of wine, maybe like those kind of contexts, that's, that's not super healthy or medical or things like that. But for the most sure. part, I think most patients are using this in a way that helps them, you know, whether they're well, even being like thoughtful that this is a medical thing I'm doing. Yeah, there are majority, I think, of people on the cannabis advocacy side today refer to all cannabis use as medical use. Mm -hmm. But I I like the way uh, Dr. Uma refers to it. She, she says flat out, I don't like to say recreational use. Mm -hmm. I like to say adult use. Yes. <laughs> And, and that's, that's per perfect, you know, mm -hmm. you know, the one thing I hear all the time, you know, because I lobby both here in Austin and, and I've been to DC talking to lawmakers as well. And the thing I hear so much is, you know, well, we got to be careful. We got to, <laughs> we got to really watch how we open this door. You know, we don't want to let the cat fully out of the bag because, you know, then everybody will be doing it. And, and I'm like, Everyone is doing it. They're just not Thank telling you. you about it. 
Texas, in Texas, everyone's already doing it. <laughs> anybody who wants to do it already is. And the thing that that I, I like to try to tell them is, uh, you know, your big fear is the, the teenagers and the kids, you know. And, and what I said as far as um, one of my testimonies in Austin, uh, or part of my testimony was, if the, what we fear is that the unauthorized or the underaged are going to get their hands on it and abuse it in some way, shape, or form, then maybe the question we should be asking, other than legalizing medical cannabis, maybe the question we should be asking is maybe we should outlaw all medicine because the same fear could be said for everything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. His reaching in the cabinet for the Xanax and the Adderall and all of that. And yet there's no one running around saying, sorry, parents, you can't have Adderall, you can't have Xanax, or you can't have your oxycodone. No, they're rushing to the prescription pad to write you a mm-hmm. prescription to get it filled for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. And we know actually from some of the research, you know, I'm, I've been lucky enough to live in all across the United States, sort of like a gypsy. I'm Hungarian, so it's sort of in my blood, but... <laughs> Um, but I lived in uh, Denver, Colorado as well, right after it was uh, legalized uh, for adult use. And, you know, some of the work that they did there was they were looking at, okay, how does legalizing medical marijuana and then adult use marijuana impact whether kids under 18, under 21 are consuming cannabis illegally? Like, one, are the dispensaries selling it to them? We know that's a no. <laughs> There's laws and big fines and penalties for that. No one is selling to kids. They're only sure. selling to adults. So that's very clear. Um, and then, you know, even on the, the uh, legacy or the, the illegal black market, are kids you consuming more cannabis because they see it, you know, dispensaries and things like that? And they actually said that cannabis became uncool when it was legalized. Like, yeah. actually, people are using it less because they're seeing their mom and dad smoke and they're like, I don't want to be like mom and dad, you know, like teenage rebellion or something. So mm-hmm. it just became less cool to them because they saw it all around. So the perceptions are a little bit different. So necessarily seeing cannabis whether it's an advertisement in a magazine like like a you know like an LA weekly or something like a city thing or Sensi magazine or something doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to consume any of that so it's like doesn't mean that using cannabis or knowing people or having a parent that works in the cannabis industry something like that has no influence on, mm. on your children um, just in the same way, I mean, like, there's no one going out there saying, hey, mom works for a vodka company, like, you're going to be out there guzzling, you know, vodka, <laughs> like, when exactly. you're, like, 12 years old, you know, it's these weird, you know, we jump to these conclusions, we're stigmatizing so much, you know, and again, it's just, one, it's just another job, it's just another plant, and yes, we, we need to cheat, talk about responsible use, and I think it's so important, you know, if your child is consuming cannabis, you know, at the at an improper age, you know, what is the reason? Is it because they're suffering from anxiety? Is it they're suffering from focus issues? Are they depressed? Are they mm-hmm. with the wrong crowd or something like that? Like what sure. is going on that that is, you know, they're calling out or they're, they're testing boundaries or things like that. You know, there's a lot of reasons why somebody would consume, you know, mm-hmm. and it, those are the questions you need to ask, not just jump to the cannabis industry is bad. They made my kid do drugs. So, you know, here we go to these perceptions or like a lot of things are just so much more difficult because people think, hey, you know, 
you are the reason like it's not them like it's not them being bad parents or just the kid being you know a kid right oh no <laughs> these, never these are teens you know it happens right it's mm -hmm. like they have to make mistakes so they 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 learn you know um mm -hmm. i don't I'm, I'm definitely not a proponent like please don't have your kid use cannabis but like sometimes it's interesting i actually did research on rats um looking at adderall and the development of the teenage brain and cannabis and the development of the teenage brain and we know that adderall is much worse for the teenage brain than mm -hmm. cannabis and so adderall is a stimulant uh, ritalin is a stimulant so very similar to amphetamines cannabis works differently on the brain and so again there's a lot of stigma around cannabis but if you had a choice between your teenage son for example uh, with adhd using adderall versus using cbd oil we're not talking about thc here like cbd oil like there's enough stigma around that right now like a lot of doctors mm -hmm. are like oh okay it's okay for 18 plus but like how dare you like think about using it when you're a 16 year old but it's yeah. like if they can't focus if they're failing out at school or something would you rather have them smoking a joint using a cbd oil or using adderall like if those yeah. are your choices cbd oil all the way you know sure. Just a safer way to consume. I do think that THC during brain development can't—it's—it's it's a little much because your mm -hmm. brain is sort of rewiring, it's pruning, it's reorganizing very sure. rapidly. So mm -hmm. I think that it's better, you know. But again, it's like we have to think about healthy brains and unhealthy brains. And I think if you you're suffering from attention or in, uh, uh, sorry ADHD or anxiety depression you're not dealing with a super healthy brain, it's still a little off balance. And I think that CBD can lend balance to a brain in a healthier way than maybe THC, which might be too much for that developing brain. So that's my personal yeah. opinion on those things. It's just really hard because those conversations, like you have to be so careful because of liability with minors and things like that. But, you know, I think that people think it's totally okay to dole out stimulants to kids. Um, I was lucky enough, actually, my parents, um, it's funny, I was the kid that was uh, so smart in school, like I was already reading by like two years old and stuff. So when I went to kindergarten and things like that, I was a disruptive kid that was like throwing things everywhere because I was bored. I was like, I was like a super dork. So um, I, I would get in trouble all the time and they labeled me ADHD. They wanted me to take the stimulants when I was a kid and my parents were like, I think he's just smart. Like, don't don't take those. And yeah. so I was diagnosed, I mean, I do actually have ADHD, but again, things like CBD help, you know, exercise, you know, like actually doing things I really like to do. Like there's ways that you can manage it without stimulants. And I sort of, you know, really want to thank my parents for that because I don't know what my brain would be like if I was consuming stimulants since I was five years old. Would I be the same person? Would I be as motivated yeah. as I am now? Would it be as clear headed? Would I have written like five books? I don't know. Um, the research suggests that your brain sort of becomes more likely to become, I say, addicted or, um, you know, risk taking and like things like that. Like it actually changes your brain and the mm -hmm. opposite of what you want. So instead of being more less impulsive, more focused, you're like more out of it when, when you grow up to be an adult. And that's not helpful, that, right? It's like you're controlling no. your kid and then they grow up to be even in a hot, hotter mass. So it, yeah. You know, with CBD That's... oil, I don't think there's any kids that are like, oh, I gave my kids CBD oil, they, they were straight A's, and then <laughs> now they're like a crazy person because they took the CBDs. Like, that's not that's not a story, so. No, I haven't heard of any stories like that anyway. You know, please just consider <laughs> something else. CBD oil, like, I hope, I really hope that they do the work behind it to really study whether it's a safer alternative for children. I know so little money has gone into some mm. of the research on the health benefits, even for just adults, you know, we're mm -hmm. just at the tip of the iceberg here. 
but I think that that's a huge, huge market that, you know, again, I think that there's big money, unfortunately, in giving stimulants to kids because once they're on it, they're on it, you know, <laughs> for years, you know, no one thinks a second, oh, I'm on it. And then there are adults and they're still taking it, you know, because basically by that point, they're sort of addicted to it. Um, sure. They need it to, to survive, even though they didn't actually need it, but taking it for years rewires your brain to need it. So it's sure. like you've, you've made this customer for life, you know, from like, you know, the age of five on and sometimes. So mm -hmm. I think that we really, really need to advocate for, for better options for kids, for better options for adults. Cause what, what we're working with right now is just, again, it's so toxic. We didn't even have some of these, you know, medications years ago and people did fine. Right. You know, it's, sure. it's interesting. It's like, yes, we have modern society has created a lot of challenges, right? We have a very different tech filled life than we did maybe even 20 years ago. But mm -hmm. I don't think that the answer is pharmaceuticals. I don't. No, I, I even have to say that I, I tend to lean toward uh, Dr. Ethan Russo's theory of endocannabinoid deficiency mm -hmm. as a population mm -hmm. uh, because we were stripped of it so many years ago, completely stripped mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And it used to be not only in medicine, it used to be in our clothes, it used to be in our diet. It used to be in, in the animals that are in our diets, diet. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and it just, we, we removed it completely. Mm -hmm. And you can almost line the timeline of several different diseases, origin, up to that same point in time. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it, you, it's hard to deny those facts. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I wrote my book, Vitamin Weed, on, obviously very influenced by Dr. Ethan Russo's work on endocannabinoid deficiency, but really diving into the science behind how somebody might be endocannabinoid deficient. So it's interesting, you know, you're saying, hey, we removed it from a livestock. Now our livestock's pumped with hormones and things like that. They're not eating, you know, hemp and, and healthy things that support our endocannabinoid system. But there's also, you know, the it's not just the removal of hemp from our livestock and food supply chain and things like that. It's also how we're encountering toxins in mm -hmm. our daily life. Every cannabis patient is different. Mm -hmm. There are some cannabis patients that have been taking this for 50 years and still don't take like more than five milligrams and like that's their dose. There's other ones that, you know, 500 milligrams is their jam and, you know, that's what controls their disease and that's what works for them. Um, you know, I wish I could take more cannabis. Um, you know, when I do need it, more of it, I tend to take it in a suppository form because it seems like it works better when it's like helping the nerves that aren't working well, like in my back and in my pelvis and things like that. It's going to where it needs to go. It seems like when it goes to my brain, I don't know what's going on with my brain, but my brain does not like the THC. So it's unfortunate. I, I never get that recreational effect where people are like, oh, I'm relaxing. I'm like, Nope, I'm 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 on edge and like sometimes mm -hmm. I'm more hyper aware of my pain, which goodness knows. You're like, I don't need to get a level 20. I need that to go down, not yeah. up. Yeah. You know, so that's you have to know what your body is like, you know, you have to know how to use these products properly. But I just tell everyone, I was like, you know, you can talk to 20 patients with the same condition. We all use something different. <laughs> we all have our different little regimen. It's very much personalized medicine, you know, and then that's because our brain chemistry is different. Our gut chemistry is different. Our liver status is different. You know, we've had different medical conditions and histories and things like that. We are so unique. And I think that the, the way that we use this plant is not cookie cutter. There will never mm -hmm. be just one, like, sorry, there's just one cannabis pill out there and somebody takes five milligrams of it and somebody takes 10 milligrams and that's it. 
that that Mm-mm. it's never going to be like a pharmaceutical. Well, that's one reason I think for the why it's taken so long at the federal level to get any kind of change or any movement is because the pharmaceutical companies have been working in overdrive for the last 20 years to try to figure out that very thing, how to get that one pill that's perfect, and they can't do it. Nope. And we even know that the different strains, right, they have different cannabinoid levels, they have different terpene levels. We know that if we harvest bud from different heights than plant, we'll get different profiles. We harvest Mm -hmm. at different dates, we harvest at different temperatures, at different elevations, like Colorado and Denver versus, you know, at sea level somewhere, the plant will be so different. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to, you know, package that sort of magical combination together. I know that there are some groups um, that are working really hard in Israel to look at the different strains and say, okay, like what strain combination would be the best for this type of cancer or this one? Like there, there's a lot of research right now. It's like, if you took one type of cancer cell, so let's say like that pancreatic cancer, right? And you took 50 different types of strain extracts and you put it on the Petri dishes, like some of them will kill the cancer, some of them won't, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about like the more difficult cases, like there's some types of breast cancer that respond well to cannabis and some that don't, you're like feeding the tumor. You're like, oh no, that was the wrong decision. Whoops, right? Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. need to know, you know, um, you know, what strains are great. It's not, sometimes it's not just THC. It's really what else is in the plant that is either feeding the disease or, or reducing the disease. And mm-hmm. I've been very much like that where I've had products that I'm like, this does not agree with me. And then try another strain or another edible product or another type of RSO oil and found out it agreed very, very well. So it's like, it's not even just, you know, <laughs> so simple as, okay, you need your CBD and you need your THC. There's a lot of nuance to it. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, anyone that is dealing with something very severe, epilepsy is very nuanced. Um, and like custom personalization regimen, you know, cancer is um, even just if chronic pain, if you're going to be on a regimen for your rest of your life, you really need to understand the plant and how it fits in. You know, if you have something very minor, you're like, I'm anxious once in a while and I need to go, you know, take a microdose of something or something like that's not the, you probably figure that out by yourself, but like mm-hmm. for most serious people need to definitely talk to somebody before they transition onto it. Cause again, like CBD is not innocuous. It can interact with different things and things like that. So I always tell people, I'm like, make sure you talk to somebody because yeah. you know, you don't, you never want to be, you know, taking something that might make it worse, you know, or, on the flip side, be so over-medicated that you don't actually know you have a serious problem. Like I've talked to some patients that are like, oh, I have a stomach problem and I didn't talk to a doctor, but I'm just going to smoke weed instead. And you're like, do you know what that stomach <laughs> problem is? Like you smoke weed and you have cancer, but you never talk to anyone, you're going to die. Like you need to talk and figure out what what's wrong with yeah. you. Get your diagnosis first before you start medicating because, you know, you can choose. I like, I, I think that the diagnosis is important because you know what you're working with, but if you just cover up the pain without actually knowing what it is, you might be dealing with something very serious. And we see that actually a lot with patients that are like, Oh, I'll, I'll never, I'll just avoid the medical system. Like, yeah. you know, a hundred percent. And you're like, you know what, sometimes you can't please see your doctor once a year, even if you, you smoke weed, like, you have to see your doctor, you get those blood tests checked and things like that, make sure everything's working good, you know, yeah. or take a tolerance break and be like, 
oh, what hurts over here? That's a new pain, you know? Otherwise, mm -hmm. if you're high all the time, or like you're openly medicating again, like some patients don't ever reach that point, but like there's lots of patients I know that are, are consumers that are like, oh, I dab like five times a day and I'm high all the time, it's all good. But like, they have no idea that they've like developed some kind of new health condition in sure. the middle of this. So it's like so important, listen to your body, take breaks, you know? you know, continue to take care of your health. Like that's how I know, right? It's like, I take like a, a day break every single week where I don't take any type of THC products. If I feel any like type of pain or irritability or anything, I'll take some CBD drops, but I take a THC free day once a week. Um, but I think it's so important because if you don't know where your pain is, like you, you can't really check in with yourself. And even, you know, cannabis consumers, right? It's like, you can be a cannabis consumer. It can definitely, cannabis can save your life, but there's some things that you still need modern medicine for. So I always just, sure. you know, preface that. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for my heart rate issues. So I take a little pill every day, which is why yeah. I go to the doctor every six months, yeah. you know, just to make sure that everything's still peachy keen. Well, Michelle, I think we could probably talk about this subject for hours on end, uh, but we've got to close the show out. I want to thank you again for joining me here and tell us where where we can find you and where we can find your books, et cetera. Sure. So you can find me online at Instagram or Twitter at Dr. Michelle Ross. So that's D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-E-R-O-S-S. -S. So you can just remember me as Dr. Ross, the cannabis boss. But uh, DrMichelleRoss.com is my website. You can find my books or book me for a consultation if you have some deep work, deep healing work you want to do with cannabis. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me here. And I'm so happy to answer questions too online. So don't be shy. <laughs> All right, perfect. Well, that's it, folks. And I want to thank you all again for joining us here on Gramps Place. Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about everything cannabis, cannabis law reform, and anything else you can think of. Brought to you by Something Has to Change and Now, working through advocacy to end the prohibition of plants. For more information, visit www.facebook.com slash something has to change and now. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcast or visit grampsplace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place.